This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding the Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I really genuinely am so delighted to have on the program today executive producer and series creator, Carolyn Milland, who has so many fabulous television series under her belt, including two new and very exciting contributions to the television landscape. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Carolyn, who I've known for many, many years. A passionate storyteller with an eye for casting great talent, Carolyn is a Canadian Screen Award, Real Screen, and Banff Rocky-nominated executive producer, writer, and series producer. She has created, produced, and directed numerous shows and formats, including the very popular Style by Jury. Remember that show? The number one makeover format in Canada, running for nine seasons with a total of 186 episodes, which I was obsessed with for years. We'll talk about that. Carolyn is also the creator of Brides of Beverly Hills, TLC, and Chorus, Chef Off Food, Totally Tracked Down, Reels, Arresting Design, which I think I appeared on as a life coach on the W Network, Great Canadian Homes on HGTV, Canada Do Da Day, CBC Kids. And she's also the creator and producer of the new hit series, We Bought a Funeral Home for Discovery Plus, which follows a Toronto family as they take on the quirky renovation of a 100-year-old funeral home. The series actually just debuted everyone in October 2022 and was consistently among their top five best-rated shows on the Discovery platform. Carolyn is also the creator and producer of Bollywood, currently in production with the CBC, and they just aired their premiere episode on January 12th, 2023 at 8 p.m. So definitely make sure to check out this show on Thursday nights on CBC. And I'm sure Carolyn will tell us where else we can watch it. Her animated family feature screenplay musical Princess Up is a 2021 Screencraft finalist. Her other passion projects include her self-funded documentary Rebel Dad, which has been in the works for three years. Carolyn spent seven years as a producer writer at CTV, both on the flagship current affairs show Canada AM, as well as working on CBC's The Journal, one of the best shows ever. She has worked as an independent producer for the last 30 years and as a broadcast executive for W Network from 2002 to 2004. She has experience across all the genres. I was like so fascinated as I looked at your CV from kids TV to documentary, scripted, current affairs, animation, and reality television. And so she really understands producing from the ground up. In 2015, she formed Heart Hat Entertainment with the goal of producing premium original content that appeals to the head and the heart. Carolyn Milland, welcome to Finding Your Bliss and Happy New Year. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> it's so great to see you again. And for our listeners who don't know this, I've known Carolyn for my whole life from the Montreal Children's Theater with Dorothy Davis and Violet Walters. And we were in many shows together. Oh, okay, so, I love that. So basically, um, Judy is the princess in the middle, Sleeping Beauty. I'm this dwarf. I'm like, I'm, uh, I think, sneezy. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, great <sighs> memories. Oh, oh my so, God. Did, so, yeah. so many. Well, thank you for bringing that. That's one of my favorite pictures. What are your memories of those early days at the Montreal Children's Theater? And do you think that Dorothy and Violet, the doyens of that theater company, influenced your desire to become a major television and film producer? A hundred percent. I love those days at Children's Theater. I'm sure as you did. And for a kid like... You know, the confidence that it built 
in the beginning, I was more of a shy kid. And I remember auditioning for parts and would stutter and stammer and be extremely intimidated by the process of auditioning. And so it took a while. It took like a few years till I finally got the lead role. And I think it really built. Yeah, I was like number four out of it was Sleeping Beauty. And I was kind of like the fourth, you know, the fourth, (laughs) the fourth run. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. Wow, that must have been so... Did you love playing that role? Is that such a trip for you? Yes, because, you know, again, like I think, you know, I played the dwarf and I played the stepmom or the kind of little parts here and there. But, you know, I had my sights on the the lead. Like everyone wants to leave, right? And I think just going through the classes and honing the skills of acting, it really helped a lot to kind of finally achieve that goal. And I, I just had great memories. And I always looked up to Judy, to you, because <laughs> you were like the star player, 100%. <laughs> you were the queen bee. And I admired you a lot. So oh, well, I admired you. I admired you right back. And I've continued to admire you throughout your career. And I, I have to go back to what I mentioned off the top when I talked about Style by Jury for a minute, because that show was a huge Canadian hit. And I remember it being so addictive that I couldn't stop watching it. Can you tell us about your brainchild style by jury, which just was the perfect formula that people really couldn't get enough of? What are your memories of doing that show? And did you realize when you first started style by jury that it was going to become such a major hit? So basically, at the time, I was a production executive at W Network, and a show had come in to us, a format called 10 Years Younger. It was out of uh, the UK, and it was something we acquired. And the show was set where there would be like a candidate, a makeover candidate, and they were placed in this glass box in the middle of a street in <laughs> England, or, and people would guess their age. That was kind of the idea. That was kind of the start of the makeover. And I remember thinking, well, it's just a bit... Like, why just the age, right? Like, there's so many things you can assess about a person besides their age. It's, you know, their whole kind of what they emanate and that kind of thing. So at the time, uh, I was looking to try and leave the inside production, like the broadcast world to go out on my own. And I pitched the concept of Style by Jury, which would be uh, similar to 10 Years Younger, except in our case, it would be a two-way mirror. And it would be like, a whole range of things that we would be, that people would be looking at. It would be like, are they a happy person? Do they seem like they have, they're going together? And what do you think they do for a living? It's kind of all those impressions that people make, you know, in seven seconds of judging somebody. And I remember Peter Moss, who was like a senior VP there at the time, he said, Canadians will never say bad things about, you know, like (laughs) people will never critique or say things. And anyways, he said, but I don't know anything about this stuff. So, I'm giving you the blessing to go ahead and and, um, do it. And at the time, I remember this was the best part. He said, and you can take all the international rights. He didn't think it would go anywhere. Like, it's like, yeah, and you can keep all the international rights to the show, (laughs) which he just didn't think it would be like some successful kind of format. P.S. In the end, as you know, like it ended up being a pretty successful format and people I think people like the fact that it wasn't just about the superficial there was an emotional we call the emotional journey of the episode mm-hmm. where people kind of and you were on that as a life coach where would it would we would try and treat the inside out yes. you know, of the makeover and so people liked it. And then Canadians work for it. Boy, you got those people in the box. And they were like, they were just going at it. You know? People loved it. Is there one that stands out that really tugged at your heartstrings that you just absolutely loved? You know, I think a lot of the ones that tugged at my heart, I, I tried every at every ending. Like I would be at the video village and every time they came out at the end and their secret juror spoke to them, I'd be bawling my eyes out. Oh. But I think the one that tugged at my heart was uh, there was one woman who had no, she had no one in her life to come and be a special juror. Oh. And so we had no one to kind of like, she had no one to show off her makeover. And at that time we said, well, you know, we'll bring in the whole crew. Like we'll bring in, we'll bring in all the people who helped her, like, you know, Corby and Francesco and the whole team. So we made it work, even though you kind of have to go with the flow. When, when something happens, it's real. You, you know, you can't fake it at that point. So you just have to go with the flow. And the other, the other people who kind of broke my heart were all the teeth stories because there were so many people who just had, 
for whatever reasons, whether they went through bulimia or cigarette smoking, whatever it was, just had teeth that were really preventing them from moving forward in their life. Mm -hmm. And giving them back their smile was always like the biggest reward. I remember that. So well, congratulations on, on that, because that's a, way, a little while back. But boy, it's always resonated with, I think, all Canadians. I also love your concept for We Bought a Funeral Home, which is on Discovery Plus in the U.S. Congratulations on that. Can you tell us a little bit about that show, which just started airing in October and how it all got off the ground? Okay, well, that was the one whereby it was during the COVID period and everybody was working at home. It was really the most isolating part of COVID where no one was going into offices. There was production was at a standstill. People were worried about the future basically of their careers. And it was an opportunity at that point in time to just kind of look for people, you know? So one December day, Narcity pops up and, you know, mentions this family who had just bought this funeral home and they were going to turn the, you know, the casket lived into a casket bar. So already it's like, okay, that's quirky. <laughs> so I was totally intrigued at that point. And I reached out to the owner via LinkedIn and said, Hey, I don't know, it may, would you be interested? You know, and it's again, like COVID, no one's letting people into their homes. It's like the worst time to be approaching people to kind of come into their home and shoot something with them. But this family was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah like we, we just like, we haven't moved in yet. We bought this Victorian funeral home wow. and a week later, basically, we were filming at the new home and then also at their, the house that they were selling in Roncesvalles. And the minute, you know, the only thing I think I said to them was, Can you all wear black so that, you know, because it's, you know, it's a funeral home, right? And then they come in these like great kind of, they just look like a million bucks. Like, all in black. The teenage girl was wearing like a goth kind of outfit. And it was like, immediately I knew this is a show, you know? Oh my God. And they were just great on camera from the moment we met them. They were just spectacular on camera. So that reel was shot in December 20th and 2020. Wow. It went to Discovery a month later. And I think a week later, they called us and said, we want to put it into development. Wow. Do people say it's reminiscent of the Adams family, like the black and the goth and the funeral home and I don't know, the, the larger than life characters, if you yeah. had that, that comparison at all? Uh, what did you think when you first saw the 38-room home before all the renovations began? And did you know right away in your bones that this was something you were dying to sink your teeth into? <laughs> Absolutely. It was a creepy, creepy house, <laughs> um, especially the basement. Even though everything had been kind of cleared out, your imagination goes to places. And it's that white light as you open, you know, the embalming room. It's kind of that cold light. Oh, God. Um, and I just... <laughs> And I just didn't want to be in that basement. It was like, oh, this is so creepy. And they're like, yeah, we're going to turn it into a bar. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a speakeasy in there. We're going to make a cigar lounge out of the bombing room. And it's like, like, this is fantastic. So yeah, it was, it was just kind of like a creepy, but interesting space that had so much potential. And the family are very hands-on, you know, kind of DIY people. <laughs> so they had a vision to turn it into this goth glam family home. Wow. Well, the trailer is fabulous. We actually have the trailer for We Bought a Funeral Home. Let's all have a listen. We're all about the creepy. Oh. We're all a little kooky. Drawn to the mysterious. And we revel in the spooky. Meet the Blumbergs, my family. We're a bunch of weirdos. Renovating an old home isn't for the faint of heart. But renovating an 140-year-old, maybe haunted, definitely eerie, abandoned funeral home takes a very special kind of family. Welcome to our world. (gasps) Oh, my God! There's a foot, there's a bone. What is this for? Well, I've been seeing some shadows. The dog's going nuts. <gasps> we have bats. No! <laughs> Colour is going to be black. 100% I was going to suggest black. Casket lift. If you want to turn it into a bar. <laughs> Drink to your death. Hold the mouth open. Yeah, just bought the funeral home. Oh. <laughs> See how we turn this 12,000 square foot relic 
It's huge. Massive. Into a macabre masterpiece. This is going to be stellar. We bought a funeral home. Only on Discovery Plus. Comfortable? Yes. <laughs> As she lies in the coffin. That looks like so much fun. Oh my God. It must have, It must be so much fun to produce. It was fun to produce because as it turns out, the house is haunted, legitimately so. We met a former owner in her 70s who lived there as a child. And she told the Bloombergs a story of how this lady in blue would appear on the staircase of the funeral home on a regular basis. She was a friendly spirit. And so... (laughs) That set, you know, the young Noah off, the daughter often to uh, investigate, you know, the ghost. And we actually tracked down who the ghost potentially was and from what family she resided. We spoke to the descendants of the ghost lady. Oh, and my goodness. It turns out that the woman who lived there fell down the stairs and died. Oh, my gosh. That's, were you ever scared doing this, Carolyn? Did you ever sort of get a little freaked out and say, I, I need to have my cameraman or lighting? For, like, I, I can't be alone in that basement or near that oh, no, the basement, always. The basement, I never wanted to be alone in the basement. The basement kind of gave me the, the willies. But as the house started getting renovated, it became, you know, obviously more and more felt like a family home as time went on. But wow. yeah, there were surprises. And then, and then it was infested with bats, which apparently oh. the bats had been there for like a hundred years, there's been bats. Oh. And you can't get rid of them. They just, they're just there. You can't really get rid oh, of them. Oh, for God's sake. So it's like, you couldn't, like if you were trying to script write this, you, like you, it couldn't have been better. Like as a, as a reality show, it was like, we have a ghost, we have bats. You know? like, <laughs> you know, it was just like too good to be true. Kind of oh thing. my God. Well, Heather Bloomberg, the mother of the house said it took about 18 months to film the episodes, adding that it was interesting to see how their children, son Rafferty, now 21 and daughter Noah, 14, I don't know if they're a little older when, than when this article was written, grew during that time span. Can you elaborate more on that? Was that sort of cool to see these kids growing up during this whole process? A hundred percent, because Noah was, she was, I think, 12 when we met her and she was shy. She was definitely, she had the Wednesday Adams vibe from the get-go, <laughs> very deadpan comments and, you know, had a real character. But as she went on, she became more and more confident in herself. And like she would just come out with the craziest lines on camera. So she really became a star. And same with Rafferty, we kind of made him the narrator of the show. So he was kind of what we called like the most normal out of the family. He's like, <laughs> he was like the, you know, skeptical about the, he was just kind of like represented a lot of the audience who would be like a bat that saw a bunch of crap, you know? Um, and he became the narrator. And when we told Discovery, like, cause normally it's always the parents who kind of drive a renovation show. They don't have the kids drive the storyline. Sure, sure. So they, at first they were like, well, why, you know, why would we have Rafferty be kind of the narrator? It was like, well, because young girls are going to love him, first of all. You know, he's so cute and wow. this great accent. And, and in the end, they were thrilled with it. They loved the whole take. So cool. Yeah. Great family. I love it. I love that you found all of this from a Narcity, you know, th- that publication. You just read the article. Like, that just shows the way you think, you know, that you think like a creator and a producer. And it's so cool to see it come to life. You also have a very exciting new series called Bollywood. Oh, my God, I can't wait for this. It's a series for CBC that just debuted this week. It airs every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on the CBC. And we actually have a clip from Bollywood. Carolyn, can you set this up for us and tell us a little bit more about the premise for this new series, Bollywood? I can't wait to hear all about it. But first, we're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Carolyn Milland and this fabulous new series, Bollywood, when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. 
Hi, we are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with producer extraordinaire, Carolyn Meland. And Carolyn, just before the break, I was asking you about your newest series, Bollywood. Can you tell us more? So Bollywood, it follows an intergenerational family-run business. It's a bridal business on Gerard Street. It's been there for 37 years. It's run by the patriarch, Cookie Singh, and his wife, Saram. And now their kids, who are in their 30s, Shandon and Shandni, are also helping run the store, along with uh, Shandon's wife, Ruth. So the whole premise of the show, it's it almost has a sitcom vibe to it. It's old versus new. It's like working with your parents on a daily basis and, you know, you're trying to like modernize everything and your parents are like stuck in the old (laughs) world ways. So there's a lot of humor, but it's a a very heartfelt and fun show to watch. Oh, I'm so, well, I I saw the trailer. And the one thing I have to say before we play this trailer for Bollywood is what you can't see because we're on the radio here is that the trailer is such a symphony of gorgeous color and eye candy and the sets and props and costumes and colors. I, I just couldn't get over the colors, the purples and pinks and vibrant jewel tone colors are truly spectacular. So I want you all to imagine that. And then of course, watch Bollywood on Thursday nights on CBC. Let's have a listen to this clip from Bollywood. Hey, do you guys follow us on social media? All social media is here. <laughs> this is my dad, Cookie. Sweet like Cookie. Street like cookie. Selling wedding wear is a family business. I'm the flash. Oh <laughs> She's the cash. Driving my father into the 21st century has not been easy. If you don't see the honey, never make money. It's not going so well. The trick is combine old generation and new generation together. Welcome to Bollywood. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations on this. Bollywood is being billed as a heartwarming docu-series as you mentioned, uh, centered around the Singh family who've been operating this iconic bridal shop. So can you tell us, first of all, what do you mean by when you say docu-series? What exactly is that? So it follows, in, I guess, real life. You know, the idea is that, you know, we don't make up stuff. We try and harness real storylines from the family's experience and life and what's going on day to day with their lives. And when they give us that information, we then integrate it into what we call a doc you follow. It really is a hybrid. I, I call it, it's almost like a sit doc because hmm. it has elements of situation comedy as well. It's a 30 minute show. The other thing we kind of call it is a real life con- convenience. You know, it, it has elements of wow. you know, that kind of show. So, you know, it's not um, a hard kind of documentary where you're like, there's no manipulation. Like it's still a television show. You have to produce it and you mm-hmm. have to produce moments, but it's based on real day-to-day life. That is so cool. Also, how much fun is it to be around the glamorous world of Bollywood culture and fashion and weddings? My favorite, like just, you don't even have to find, like it's just built in all the glam and all the beautiful clothes and the, oh, I, I just couldn't get the over what I was saying. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. The dresses like weigh, I think they weigh like 30 when you hold them like from on the hanger. I don't know how they lift them so easily. They're really heavy because they're weighed up. Like there's so much beating and weight wow. to the dresses and just the color. It makes you, it makes you want to like, you know, <laughs> try everything on in South Asian culture. White is the color you would wear at a funeral. Yes. So red is a traditional color you wear for weddings, but with kind of the influence of Bollywood and, and movies, you know, colors are changing, like the styles and trends are changing. So now they're bringing in pastels and, you know, vivid colors outside of the red. You know, traditional wow. parents still want red when their daughter gets married, but brides are kind of fighting it a bit and trying to branch out and wear the new trendy colors. <laughs> right, right. Have you tried one on? I have not. I, I have, they've uh, said at some point they'll dress me. So I would love, I'd love, you know, maybe after shedding a few pounds. Cause was, you know, you see their bodices, there's like skin showing sometimes. Yes, they're gorgeous. Oh yeah, my God. And I wanted to also ask you, what did you learn about this extravagant, ever-changing world of Indian weddings that you never knew before doing this series? Like, is there anything that you've sort of thought, wow, I wish I had that kind of wedding or something you've learned from that? I think the theatrics, like I didn't realize they, they bring in, you know, we, we just, on one of the shows, the proposal is like a Bollywood movie. Like we, we show this proposal between a couple and 
they're dancing on the street and it's a whole choreographed thing. And, but it's the influence of Bollywood movies is huge in Bollywood weddings. That's why, you know, wow. kind of, we call it the show Bollywood. It's more, it's a spectacle, you know, they mm-hmm. create an incredible spectacle. And that's the thing that was like, kind of, you know, really inspiring, like, you know, wow. Oh my God, that sounds so awesome. I really am excited about this one for you. I want to talk to you about and also congratulate you on your production company, Hardhead Entertainment, which you formed in 2015. And I really think that's so cool. What was involved in starting your own production company? And I'm asking this because I have a listener who always asks me to ask my guests, how did you actually do it? What was the process? Was it a frightening prospect? All of that stuff. So, and are you happy, of course, that you did it? So I know I've just asked you five questions, but the main one being, can you take us back to what gave you the guts and the courage to do it? Was it scary? And has it been a great thing to do? Well, prior to 2015, I was actually a partner in the company that produced Style by Jury called Planet Works, and we were three of us. So I had two partners who were colleagues and, and very good friends, and we had a great 10-year run together. We had an amazing 10-year run where we produced Broadway's Beverly Hills and all the shows you mentioned. Yes. And then we kind of hit, after the end of Style by Jury, we kind of hit, you know, what happens in many companies, a bit of a lag, you know, where just stuff wasn't coming in. It, for whatever reason, it was kind of slowing down. And I had to think kind of hard about what, long and hard about what I wanted to do next. And at that point in time, I really wanted independence. I wanted to do my own thing, not have to answer to two other part. And not that it's bad, but it, you know, it was at that point where I just felt like, I don't care if I spend money frivolously on this reel or whatever. I just want to be yes. able to pursue something that I want to do. And so that was extremely scary. I, I don't know how I kind of just decided to basically <laughs> venture by myself. And I found a space, office space in Liberty Village, a little small little wow. loft space for a very reasonable rent price. Wow. I signed the lease and it was like, I'm doing that. I'm going in here and just, I'm going to take a chance. And I remember sitting at my desk with my dog by my side and it's like, well, really nice, but no one's calling. Like, no, nothing's <laughs> happening, right? And and I remember telling a friend and colleague at Chorus, you know, I've gone out on my own. And she's like, why would you do that? Like, it's like, because they were used to dealing with mega companies or something more sizable where they can I feel, think. we can give you money because you have a whole system in place and you have infrastructure. You know, right. being one person, you don't really have infrastructure. But I just, I was happy. I have to wow. say it was the happiest time. I'd walk wow. into my little office by myself and I felt happy. I just, I didn't wow. care if anything went off the ground. Even, I just felt good, you know? And I would sit there, you know, day after day and kind of try and formulate pitches and pitch my friends and colleagues who, you know, who were at Chorus and people I knew. And the first project was Great Canadian Homes, where my friend actually almost handed it to me. She said, this, in one hour documentary, <laughs> Canada's 150th birthday, would you like to, you know, do a, a one hour special about, oh. Great, about Canadian Homes with Tommy Smythe, who was, a, you know, a designer um, with Sarah Richardson. And I was like, yeah, I love, you know, I love interior decorating. I love looking at houses. This is a perfect vehicle. Wow. Yeah. So it was kind of a gift. It was after two years of pitching her that she kind of threw me about, you know. Wow. And <laughs> it ended up being nominated for um, a Canadian Screen Award among, you know, the Property Brothers and all the other shows. And it really was like a tiny little, you know, production. So it was a great feeling. Like you don't have to be big and have yeah. huge infrastructure at the end of the day. You just have to believe in your idea and then assemble obviously a great team around you. That's so great. Oh, I, lo- I love hearing that. These, these are finding your bliss stories, right? Like I love, love to hear this. I want to ask you about something I mentioned off the top, which is your self-funded documentary Rebel Dad, which has been in the works for three years now. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I, as part of what researching stories and trying to find the next story, you know, either you're looking at blogs or you're looking at TikTok or you're reading books. And I came across a book called Rebel Dad. It was a small Canadian book about a man who adopted two sons and he was the first gay man in Canada to legally adopt his children. And uh, I read the book and it made me cry. and, And there was a lot of twists and turns to his story. And so I just thought this is like a really great story, great Canadian story. 
And I reached out to him and met with him. And he was like, sure, let's, you know, I said, look, this is going to be a long process. I don't have any funding, but I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to film with you and we'll see where it goes. So PS, three years later, Hmm. I'm still in touch with him on a regular basis. It's hard to get the final finishing funds. I still intend to completely finish the documentary, but I have a lot of footage, you know, amassed. Wow. So, you know, that is fair. Yeah. So in the end, there's different ways to do projects. Sometimes people do self-fund projects, you know, they're smaller and it's one way to get something made, you know, for your listeners who have an idea. Sometimes it is about just kind of taking the leap of faith and starting small kind of thing and, and trying to get something you know, even with your iPhone or whatever, just trying to, you know, start the project going. That's so cool. You have said, Carolyn, the COVID period of isolation ended up being the best thing for your business. How so? I think because again, like being alone, it was a very hard time, you know, to be running a company alone and having a bit of overhead and that kind of thing. So when COVID hit, I was back home and then you know, government funds kicked in where, you know, the rent was subsidized. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, the rent anymore for my cute little office in Liberty Village. <laughs> and at that point, I it was just me at my desk every day in my pajamas, you know, and I could, I there was no pressure, you know, in a way, like no one was doing anything. So I wasn't measuring myself up to other production right. companies or other things. It was like no one out there, everyone's in a standstill position. And I just kept researching and researching and looking and looking. And that's how, you know, We Bought a Funeral Home came about at that, during that time. Um, because I think people just wouldn't have ventured at that time to like, it was just not the time to shoot, you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So sometimes your biggest disadvantage becomes your biggest advantage. You were saying that you were saying that you've said that failure is often the key to success, which reminds me of Oprah Winfrey's quote, which is in the midst of difficulty lies great opportunity. How is failure the key to success? I think, first of all, failing meant you leapt into something. Mm -hmm. If you didn't fail, you didn't do anything. You just did nothing. Right. Right. So um, it means you did something. And at that point, it gives you satisfaction. Like satisfaction doesn't always come from getting picked up with something or someone buying your product. Satisfaction is just doing it, you know, like mm-hmm. the screenplay or whatever. It's just writing something, even if no one reads it, it's just, but you got it done. Like you got yeah. something done. And so I think that, you know, all the failure that I've had or rejection at times in my life, it all led to learning something and then perseverance. And then finally being ready for the success and be ready, having the skills to tackle the project once it was finally, you know, picked up or greenlit. It's the hours you put into yes. that, that train you and, and kind of it's like an, you're like a well-oiled machine at that point. Yeah. So cool. You know, our show, Finding Your Bliss, is really all about reinvention and how important reinventing yourself is at any age. Like it could be at 80 or 90. I've had, I had someone on the show in their 80s who sings like Gordon Lightfoot, who was spectacular. And what a soulful, heartwarming interview that was. How have you reinvented yourself over the years? And what do you love about that whole concept of reimagining and reinventing? I just think that, I I think the idea is like never put barriers like on your, like what you can do. If you have an idea and it's something outside your comfort zone, then try it, just do it. You know, like I remember in my early career, I went for an interview for SCTV to be in the props department. And um, I went in and this was like with John Candy and, and Eugene Levy, the whole and wow. I'm interviewed by one of the producers and they said, can you paint? And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> I, I thought, like, I painted my wall in my house. Like, I, 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 you know, I had no idea they meant, can you scenic paint, you know? Anyways, they hired me to be like a scenic painter. And I was terrible. Like, I couldn't go onto like a, a scaffold and paint like scenery for their sets. Like, it's, it wasn't possible. And then I, I showed up the first day wearing a cashmere sweater. I remember wearing like a cashmere sweater. And and the uh, my you know the supervisor of the props area said, like, who are they sending me? Like, why are they sending me that person? You know? And um, I had to make like a dinosaur for one of the Eugene Levy's dinosaur sketches. And it had to be at a papier-mâché, like a five-foot dinosaur. And oh I remember God. like trying to get all the props guys to help me make this dinosaur. <laughs> but the thing is, I think it's just not saying no. Like, it's kind yeah. of just... You can do it. You know, you'll find a way to do it. Yes. So 
every time there's like barriers or a road comes to a, a dead end kind of thing, you have to reinvent. You have to find a way to move forward or, you know, you're not, you're going to just be stuck. Right. So, so brilliant. Yeah. I love that you all say it's important to know your weakness and then find colleagues, partners, and people who will balance you out. It's almost like you figured out the formula to what works in your business, the way you figured out that original formula in Style by Jury. How did you arrive at the realization? And can you tell us about your dream team? Okay, well, as far as I definitely feel you have to know your weakness in any business, my weakness being like I consider myself more of a big picture person. I'm very bad when it comes to details of running a day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. I hate the finances. I hate anything to do with, you know, tax credits or filing or, you know, anything that's organizational is not my thing. Right. So I couldn't run a business like on my own because a lot of business are those mundane and important details, you know? Yes. Um, so I... I've actually partnered with an old colleague and a director of photography who I worked with for many years, Gurjeet Man, and he and he's South Asian. He, together, I don't think Bollywood would have happened without him. And he's wonderful at kind of bring, well, bringing in the whole technical side of production, organizing the crews and the cameras, and what are we going to shoot on? Like, he'll come to me, spend a half hour telling me about the lens he's using, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, my eyes are... I, I, I know Wait. it's important. I just want it to look pretty and look good. But those, you know, so he's an amazing partner. And then we got a team of people who are great at the... You know, our, our series producer um, is wonderful, Louise Wood you know, who keeps everything on track because there's so many emails that come in every day from whether it's CBC or the family or there's a million things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And they joke that I never respond to my, any emails. (laughs) They're like, they're like, they they always say, you know, you need an assistant because you don't respond to our emails. Um, I get overwhelmed when I see a million emails about details. It's just like, I become completely like, ah, you know, so the team is able to like take care of the, all that important stuff. And, you know, then I could just, I can be creative and feel free to just focus on the show. Sure. Do you have meetings in like a boardroom or is it more of a virtual thing on Zoom? Like where do you all meet to discuss what you have to discuss? We do a lot of the Zoom virtual meetings, but we do have space uh, down on Carla. We needed space to conduct our interviews with the family, we, like something close by to their store. So we have our set, like a permanent Bollywood set there where they come in and they sit down and they do, when you watch shows, you know, they kind of, when, when it cuts to interviews, that's where we do all our, it's kind of the glue of the show. So that all takes place there. So we have meetings there as well, but People love the convenience of working from home and and not having to, you know, kind of drive in and 30, 40 minutes to get to a meeting. So they prefer it. We, you know, and the Zoom meetings are fine. So we've been like 17 people on a Zoom meeting. Wow. Yeah. And, it, and everyone's fine with it. That's so cool. You mentioned that your kids help keep you on trend and I can so relate to that. Mm-hmm. And they also keep you younger. They keep us younger, right? Mm-hmm. Can you oh, speak yeah. to how your kids keep you on trend? How does that manifest itself? For instance, when I was doing the sizzle reel for, uh, we bought a funeral home. Like I was looking for a track of music. Like what could I put in that, you know? And my daughter said, oh, you should really, she had the perfect song, Billie Eilish, Bury a Friend. And I, I've heard of, you know, I knew of Billy Eilish at the time, but I, you know, I wasn't familiar with that track. And I listened to the track and I said, Lauren, this is a perfect, this is perfect, right? This is perfect. Like, so wow. it became the main track for the sizzle reel. And then the broadcaster was totally enamored with it and said, like, we want that sound, you know, we want, we want to like, we love that indie kind of Billy Eilish sound for the show. So I, you know, it's those kind of things. It's just keeping you abreast of what's hot fashion, you know, who, who's like, who's trending on TikTok, that kind of thing. Yes. Totally. Shows are they watching, you know, I'm sure with your kids, it's the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're doing lots of shows in the new year on how to be the best version of yourself, how to be kind to yourself, give yourself the same self-compassion that you would give to a child. And you've also said, and I love reading this, that you've learned how to be less hard on yourself as you get older. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think that when you're younger, you know, you're you're so kind of worried about judgment, I think, you know, and acceptance from other people, mm-hmm. especially in, in this world of it's, it's very competitive and it's it can often feel personal, you know, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So when you reach out or your idea is rejected, you would always be thinking, well, they don't like me, maybe. Maybe it's, you know, yeah. not just the idea, but it's like I'm not part of their A club kind of thing. And at, at, a, at some point you have to give that up and you have to kind mm-hmm. of just, people aren't thinking about you 24 seven. They're not, you know, they're judging you as much as you think they are. And it, it just changed my whole mindset. I always reached out to people who I thought, oh, maybe, you know, we're not as close. And they don't, you know, maybe I'm not part of their aid, you know, kind of thoughts, but I continue to reach out, go for lunch with them, whatever. And even if nothing came out of it, relationships started forming. And I just started feeling like less of a burden of worrying about, you know, what other people think and Hmm. who's going to judge and just do what you like to do. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's so great. You've also said you prefer working with older colleagues. Can you elaborate on what you love about working with Zoomers since we're on Zoom? <laughs> well, I, I have to say that all the I, I tend to try and bring on older colleagues because I feel they have the stamina and work ethic that younger people don't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying young, young people are great too, and they bring in tons of ideas. Yeah. But there's something that we went through in our early days. We it's called paying your dues. <laughs> yeah. and I have bosses, you got to pay your dues. You know? Well, young people don't believe in paying their dues. Yeah. They want it yeah. right now. You know, yeah. if, if in two true. weeks the job doesn't satisfy them, they're already looking for the next job. You know, they don't have the same loyalty to the employer. And, you know, all my older colleagues, and they're not even older, I'm, I'm saying like anywhere from like, you know, 40 up kind of thing. They'll work like weekends. I'll take calls at night. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, they're going to be there because they're invested. And yes. I think um, sometimes, you know, I think it's something that younger people need to learn that it doesn't satisfaction or well, reward's not going to come instantly. Instant gratification isn't going to happen right away. Mm-hmm. It, 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 no, it, it, it happens. We hired, one, we hired one young person and after two weeks, she quit. Right. She, and it was like, on Bollywood, it was like she was doing casting. It was like, what are you talking? Like, we just we just hired you, but she was like something small, like that she hadn't heard from. It was something so small, and she just decided to go on to some go on to something else, which is totally fine. But when you're, you know, when you hire someone, you hope that they would be there for the duration of their contract, kind of thing. So that's yeah. So in the end, like all the older people on our team. <laughs> are the ones who, who really are amazing. So yeah. yay, older people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yay to older people. You, you've also said that, and I, I just love that you are comfortable with yourself. You just seem like a very well-adjusted person with such a healthy sense of self. So I'm just wondering, were you always like this as a little kid or do you think you learned this as you got older? I was not. I was definitely not. It's yeah. definitely something that I've worked through all my life. I, I think it, you know, I think I was much more intimidated and shy as a younger kid about everything, you know, and I think it's just doing, working through all the things that scare yeah. you, yeah. you know, whether it's public speaking, you know, I used to be terrified. Like, like even when you call to do radio, my first thing is, <laughs> no, I don't want to be on radio. You know, radio. You know? um, You're doing great. <laughs> uh, what is your ultimate dream, Carolyn, to achieve in this industry or just in your life? Industry-wise, I think I just, I want to produce meaningful content that makes people smile, makes them laugh. Like the humor, the head and heart is the thing that really motivates me. You know, some a program that touches somebody that not mean-spirited, not earnest either. Like I love quirky and funny. And so I just, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, to be huge, like to be the biggest company ever. Although my partner, you know, he's a lot younger than me and he, he would love to be, you know, much bigger. But it's not what drives me. I'm, I get satisfaction out of just doing something that I feel people love, you know, like when I see the comments or reviews or people saying how much they love a show, that's the satisfaction that, you know, I get from that. And I'm also looking for balance. I don't want to be at this point in my life only so involved in just work and not take time to, to smell the roses and, you know, Beautiful. travel. And so actually my, my daughter and her boyfriend are quitting their jobs in January and they're traveling for 10 months to Asia. So we're going to be, my husband and I are going to be meeting them in Vietnam in the spring. But I love the fact that they're saying, you know, life is short and there'll they'll be the, there'll be a job when we come back. But this is our one opportunity to do that. Beautiful. So I think, you know, it's, it's again, it's just 
learning from your kids that way, finding a balance so that it's not only just work, but you're finding time to feed your soul, to take care of your health, because that's really important. Absolutely. What is bliss for Carolyn Milan? I think being with, I mean, being with family, I mean, that's the, the bliss. And I think, as I'm sure as a mother, like there's nothing better than when you, you're home with your kids. Absolutely. That's, you know, so it's, it's small things that are, it's not like big things. I think that to me, that's the time I spend with the family and um, yeah, just savoring, you know, small things, you know, good moments. I think Dorothy and Violet would be very proud of you. I really do. Thank you. As well, you, of course. And you've done a lot. You've changed a lot. You've done weddings and you've done all kinds of things in your career. Yes. Parenting, um, yeah. mommy, mommy books. Yeah. But this is my favorite yeah. of all. This is my favorite. Yeah. Can you remind our listeners, Carolyn, how they can watch your series, We Bought a Funeral Home, and of course, your latest series, Bollywood? Absolutely. So We Bought a Funeral Home is streaming on Discovery+. Plus. You have to be a subscriber to Discovery Platform, but it's here in Canada. It's like it's not that expensive, <laughs> $4.99 or something a month. Um, and that's streaming. You know, that will be up there for a long time. And Bollywood is uh, pr- premieres January 12th at 8 p.m. Uh, with two back-to-back episodes for five weeks. And it will also be streamed on Gem as well. Oh, awesome. So people can watch it on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. on the CBC, but they also can stream it on GEM, G-E-M. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. And we're hoping very soon to have um, a sale where it will go to one of the big platforms in the U.S. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, so... Well, you'll have to let us know. You'll have to let us know. And we'll mention that in Bliss News at the end of the show when that happens, because that's so exciting. I I really want to congratulate you. This is so stunning and so dazzling and sparkly, all of these shows and and your career and your life and just just that you've really got it together, which I think is the greatest bliss of all. So it's really amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's it's such a pleasure to connect with you again. And, you know, as I said, all those childhood memories of of doing Dorothy Davis (laughs) that are really embedded, you know, great, great memories. And um, I still think of you as the princess you are. Oh, thank you. Well, I think of you as just a beautiful person and a princess as well. And I want to thank you so much, Carolyn, for being on the show today. It's really been great having you here. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're so excited to share the theme song from Bollywood with you all. The song is called Joom Barabar Joom, which means dance, baby, dance. It was one of the hit tracks from the movie Slumdog Millionaire. Love that film. As Carolyn says, and I quote, this track opens our Bollywood dance sequence and the end of the show credits. We had put it in temporarily when we shot our first pitch reel. And when the series was greenlit, we had become so attached to this track as the chorus is so catchy and uplifting that we then pursued getting the rights to use the song in our series, Bollywood. Licensing popular music can get a little pricey and is often not covered in budgets, but we felt it was worth acquiring this track as it really speaks to the Bollywood culture. Once you get this song into your head, it makes you want to dance. Hope you enjoy. The song Joom Barabar Joom is courtesy of Yash Raj Films and it is performed by KK Sikinder Singh, Mahalaksmi Iyer and Shankar Mahadevan. Without further ado, let's all have a listen to Joom Barabar Joom from Slumdog Millionaire and Bollywood. 
Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow, that was so catchy and so fantastic. I actually was dancing to it as I was listening. I really encourage you all to check out Bollywood every Thursday night at 8 p.m. on CBC. Each week, we spotlight a fabulous person who's living their bliss. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singer-songwriters or musicians on the show. So if you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you would like us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Just write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. And I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Liebrach. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Carolyn Meland, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Nayira Amani, associate producer Jess Carrero, audio engineer Juliana Yanciello, senior editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation. And here it is. Just begin by settling back into your chair or lie down on a mat or a bed, palms face up if that's comfortable for you, and gently close your eyes. And just begin right here by taking in a deep breath, right in through the nose, and let it all go through the nose or mouth, whatever is more comfortable. Already you should be able to feel yourself relaxing, feeling at ease and letting go. One more beautiful inhale in through the nose. Hold it at the top and let it all go in a beautiful, long exhale. I want to read you something from Oprah Winfrey's book, The Wisdom of Sundays, Life-Changing Insights from Super Soul Conversations. And this piece was written by Michael Bernard Beckwith. And here it is. Begin to notice what you have in your life that you are grateful for. And when you look at life through the lens of gratitude, you don't see as many obstacles or hindrances. You just see potential. You see possibilities. And then you become an open vehicle for more inspiration, more wisdom, more guidance coming from the spiritual part of your being. It all begins with gratitude. And if you can find one thing every day to be thankful for, you'll just see the world in a very different lens. For everyone here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to practice gratitude and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.